0: You're listening to Civic from the San Francisco Public Press. On this edition, we'll dive into taxes and executive pay. One of the measures voters will be deciding on in this November's election would tax businesses whose executives earn 100 times or more what their median employee does.
1: If you want something that is going to directly get at the the corporate model that has created such an unequal country, that has encouraged the the dangerous behavior of chief executives that is not good for the long-term economic health of our country, then this is a really important way to do it.
0: I'm Laura Wenis, and this is Civic.
1: Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948.
0: More at sff.org. San Francisco voters in November will be weighing a tax that's supposed to incentivize businesses to change their pay structure to bring executive pay more in line with worker compensation. This is Proposition L, a business tax increase. Revenue from the measure, if passed, is expected to range from $60 to $140 million a year. Proponents say it would enable the city to hire doctors, nurses, and first responders while encouraging companies to invest in their workers, not just their executives. Opponents say it'll discourage new businesses from opening up shop in San Francisco, and since the calculation of workers' median compensation refers only to the employees who work in the city, it will in fact incentivize businesses to move their lowest paid staff out of the city. I talked about the concept of a CEO pay gap tax and the other city that it's been tried in with Sarah Anderson, who directs the Global Economy Project at the Institute for Policy Studies and is a co-editor of the Institute's website, inequality.org. Her research areas include Wall Street reform, CEO pay, taxes, labor, and international trade and investment. San Francisco voters are going to be deciding on a business tax increase aimed at companies with a big difference between CEO and employee pay. You've written extensively about CEO pay. Let's start big picture. What has been the trend in the nation in terms of CEO, executive compensation compared with employee compensation?
1: Yeah, for decades now, large corporations have pushed CEO pay into the stratosphere, while wages for ordinary workers have largely stagnated. So in 2019, CEOs of S&P 500 companies received on average about $15 million in total compensation. And that was 264 times as much as the pay for typical employees at these large companies. And there's no real reason for it. There's no evidence to suggest That CEOs today are any smarter or better performing than they were uh, decades ago when the economy was also doing fine. And so we've really seen a a business model focused on enriching people at the top and as well as wealthy shareholders while suppressing costs for um, labor, for wages of workers at the bottom end of the corporate ladder.
0: I think I can guess based on what you've just said, but what effect has that had on wealth and income inequality?
1: The gap between CEO and worker pay is a major driver of extreme inequality in our country. I think about two-thirds of uh, the Americans in the top 1% of income earners are uh, executives uh, at corporations or in the financial sector. And so uh, America's CEOs really dominate that top tier of the richest Americans. And they have really been um, taking the, it way more than their share of the gains uh, from national um, income and and economic growth while those at the bottom have really struggled. And I I would say that, you know, here we are in the middle of this crisis. And I would argue that the level of inequality that this CEO to worker pay gap contributed to made our country so much more vulnerable to this because it encouraged an economic business model that that kept pay and benefits for workers so low that the Federal Reserve says that even before the pandemic, 40% of Americans could not afford a $400 emergency. And so while CEOs of these big companies aren't responsible for the pandemic, I I do think they deserve some of the blame for an an economic model that left so many people um, already on the The edge of a crisis. And so when the pandemic hit, it just didn't take much to push people over. And that's why I think people are even more aware now than they they were before the pandemic that we really need to tackle these extreme levels of inequality.
0: You mentioned a couple of business practices associated with very high CEO or executive compensation. And I'm curious if there's a chicken and an egg question here, which begets which? Is it the business practices that lead to exorbitant CEO pay or is it exorbitant CEO pay that encourages CEOs to encourage business practices that will continue (laughs) to inflate their pay?
1: It uh, it is all interconnected. There was one big shift back in the 90s that allowed companies to deduct unlimited amounts of executive compensation from their expenses if it was in the form of stock options or other kind of stock-based pay. And the argument then was that this would help align the interests of executives with the interests of shareholders because the executives would want to do things to make the value of the stock go up because that would expand the value of their own paychecks. But instead, what it did is it just encouraged top executives to fixate on short-term stock market bumps. It encouraged them to do all kinds of behavior that was reckless for the company and and not good for the long-term economic health of the company. So if they slashed a bunch of workers, that could get them a, a short bump in their stock price and expand the value of their pay if they um cut on research and development, if they found ways to pollute more to lower their costs. And then with the financial crisis, of course, that was probably the most obvious example of a, an executive compensation system that threatened you know, the, our entire country, if not the world, because you had CEOs doing just whatever it took to hit these jackpots. And that encouraged really reckless investments and lending that, that blew up and And undermined, you know, the rest of the country, millions of people lost their homes, their jobs, and so forth. And it was really driven by CEOs trying to chase these big payouts. Mm
0: hmm under san francisco 's proposition L, an additional business tax would be imposed if the top paid executive makes a hundred times or more of the median wage of the rest of the company's employees, median though not average so this scales along with the comparative difference, so the companies pay a higher tax if the CEOs earn you know six hundred times the median employee wage versus if the CEO only earns a hundred times as much. If I understand right, this is a fairly unusual type of tax. There are examples of cities that have done it, but not a lot. Generally speaking, what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of governments trying to raise revenue or change uh, business behavior by taxing businesses rather than the high-income individuals themselves? hmm
1: what this tax would do is it would directly target this issue of the gap between CEO and worker pay, and it would give companies an incentive to narrow those gaps, Mm -hmm. um, because that way they could avoid the the tax. It's actually just one place in the world that already has a a tax penalty like this on companies with big gaps, and that's Portland. And we we love the, you know, the healthy competition there on the West Coast around innovative tax ideas. And, <laughs> <laughs> we we thought San Francisco wouldn't be far behind once um, Portland started collecting revenue on this in 2018, and we know that whatever you do within the city borders of Portland and San Francisco is. Um, not going to be enough to completely overturn the the pay practices of big companies Uh, but you are you would be setting a really important precedent and there are many others uh, that are considering this there is a similar bill in the california state legislature to do it on a statewide basis there are bills in both the u.s senate and house of representatives to do it on a national basis so you've got to start somewhere and i think that we we need those taxes on individual income as well Um, and I'm encouraged to see kind of the proliferation of ideas around wealth taxes and estate taxes and raising the marginal top marginal tax rate up Um, but if you want something that is going to directly get at the the corporate model that has created such an unequal country that has encouraged the, the dangerous behavior of chief executives that is not good for the long-term economic health of our country then this is a really important way to do it
0: so i want to talk a bit about that sort of uh scaling up because there's a huge range of ratios Uh, portland Mm -hmm. you know as you mentioned passed a similar tax the oregonian charted the pay gaps of some of the businesses operating there Portland General Electric's CEO makes 37 times what the median worker makes. Walmart's CEO makes 1,188 times as much. And closer to home, Recode reports that the CEO of Gap, which is headquartered in San Francisco, makes 3,566 mm-hmm. times what the company's median worker makes. What do you think about the scaling up of the tax along with the ratio of CEO pay to worker pay? Mm-hmm.
1: I like the scaling up because it encourages companies to, um, That might not be ready to make like a huge uh, change in their pay practices, uh, but maybe they can narrow it somewhat next year and that'll get them a little bit lower uh, level of uh, increase in their taxes. And then maybe the following year they can do a little bit better. It gives them a a path to getting to the point where they wouldn't have to pay this tax at all. And so I I think that that is um, important. And I do think there's a there's a, a degree of unfairness that is. Truly off the charts obscene. And that is, uh, you've got the, the top uh, level in, in the proposal at, at CEO pay more than 600 times what the median worker makes. And that, that is just a whole nother level of obscene, I would say, than making 100 times more than, than a median worker. And so I think it's, it's totally fair that um, companies at that really obscene level pay a considerably higher tax penalty.
0: Well yeah I mean there's two implications there there's two ways that this could go if you have such a huge ratio is it's either the CEO is making a, a truly mind boggling amount of money um and or the median worker is just making a truly mind bogglingly small amount of money yeah
1: right? yeah and I think the best outcome would be they'd narrow the gaps Uh, By making changes at both ends, uh, Mm -hmm. bring down CEO pay and lift up the worker pay in that way, it could be a really good complement to the living wage campaigns that I know have been strong. your region as well. And I also want to point out one thing about the figures that you just cited, you know, with the Gap making more than 3,000 times um, the the median worker pay. Those are based on uh, the data that the SEC collects, which uh, on the worker end, it's based on a company's global workforce. And I'm not totally sure with Gap if if that median worker was outside the U.S. or not, but Mm. um, since the proposal on the table in San Francisco, um, the worker and would be based on pay for workers in San Francisco. And so uh, that will have a bit of a narrowing effect on the pay ratios, I think, because even within the U.S., San Francisco wages are probably a little bit higher than the norm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Another detail of Proposition L, companies are separated into two categories under this measure. They're either only operating in San Francisco as an administrative office or not, also having other functions here. And if a company only operates an administrative office in San Francisco, the tax rate is even higher. I'm curious if that um, makes sense to you. Why might a government want to tax a business with only administrative functions more than one with other functions as well?
1: Well, uh, we are definitely getting into the complicated weeds here, but (laughs) (laughs) the the administrative office thing refers to companies that um, might not be making sales in San Francisco. Um, So the the main focus of the tax is on um, increasing the tax rate based on their gross receipts. So how much are they selling and making from that uh, within the city of San Francisco. If you have like a corporate headquarters or um, some other kind of, you know, office that just has the, the management people or the PR people in it or whatever, and you're not really doing sales, but but you're still a pretty big operation. Um, I think actually the administrative office definition is you, um, you have more than a thousand employees, but you're still not selling stuff. So I I think it's you know it's mainly referring to like corporate headquarters, that type of thing. Then your tax isn't going to be based on your gross receipts because you're not selling stuff. It's going to be based on your payroll. Um, and so they, the tax rates are a little different there. I don't know in the end you know if they would be higher or lower, but they're a, they're, the base of it is different. For most companies, it's going to be um, an increase in their, the existing gross receipts tax that they, they owe uh, in San Francisco. And for these places uh, that are called administrative offices like um, corporate headquarters, it's going to be based on their payroll expenses.
0: So I'm sure
1: I lost a few people there. I'm sorry. Taxes can get complicated.
0: Yeah, but I mean, that's what we want to talk about in in lay people's terms and make this really simple because, you know, nobody wants to go through tax code. But so in San Francisco, um, according to this report from Recode, which actually was from last year, um, it's retail. That would be the most affected, not, say, for example, tech, which arguably isn't selling things. I don't know if that they might be business to business selling things. So maybe that's a different uh, concept.
1: Well, I think since that Recode article came out that a different category for administrative offices might have been added as an innovation. So that might address um, some of that. But, yeah, retail is a very low-wage sector. Um, Fast food would be another. Um, I also looked at uh, Wells Fargo, which I know is one of the largest uh, employers in the San Francisco area. And I think that they would probably fall into that top-tier category. Last year, for example, the Wells Fargo CEO made... Uh, $34 million. And so if you're trying to avoid a tax that kicks in when your CEO makes 100 times as much as your typical employee, their typical employees would have to make about $340,000. So (laughs) I don't think that's the case for tellers at Wells Fargo banks in San Francisco. In fact, I I looked up some job listings for them and they make about $14 an hour. So um, I think Wells Fargo would probably uh, face the highest level of tax penalty there, and that, that's just um, you know, one example of, of how it might affect some of the retailers there. Another thing that the the tax does do getting into the weeds again is, um, you know, say with the gap, a lot of those store employees are no doubt part time. But the design of the tax, as I read it, allows companies to take part time workers pay and convert it as if they were full time. So that's also going to narrow the gaps a little bit. I I think it's in a little bit of an artificial way. Um, But anyway, it'll be interesting to see how much that affects the gaps. But I think, you know, CEO pay is just so off the charts at almost every single big U.S. company that there would be very few, say, S&P 500 companies that are doing business in San Francisco. I bet almost all of them would be subject to this tax. Uh, It does exclude small businesses that make less than a million dollars a year in, in sales in the San Francisco area. I think it probably wasn't even necessary to do that because it's. It's extremely unlikely that you'd have a small business that's gonna pay their top person more than a hundred times their their median employee. But um, this is really gonna target the the really big companies that have been at the forefront of this dangerous trend of overpaying people at the top and underpaying pretty much everybody else.
0: I'm speaking with Sarah Anderson, director of the Global Economy Project at the Institute for Policy Studies. A real quick aside, if you'd indulge me, um, on the Wells Fargo job uh, opportunities that you looked into, I'm pretty sure that our minimum wage in San Francisco is a bit over sixteen dollars an hour now. So okay. I'm surprised to hear that they make fourteen.
1: Yeah, maybe the I think I was looking at Glassdoor, one of those sites that, um, you know, collects this information and and maybe it was out of date. But even if it's a bit higher than that, I think another site I saw said that bank tellers at Wells Fargo make between twenty five thousand and forty. 41000 So uh, the point being that uh, these are not very highly paid uh, people. And so when you've got a CEO making $34 million compared yeah. to what these Wells Fargo workers are making, it's, you know, it's many hundreds of times um, more than the typical workers that the CEO is getting. And so they'd have to pay a bit of a tax, you know, maybe for Wells Fargo, whatever you're your whatever the tax would wind up to be wouldn't be enough for them for the board to um, decide it's time to cut the ceo's pay i hope it would be and i hope that they would take some some preemptive action we're not asking these companies to like you know, do something that's going to cost them more money. We're asking, you know, on the CEO pay end anyway, we're asking them to do something that would save them money in terms of CEO expenses and hopefully, um, you know, have their incentives, you know, set up in a more healthy way instead of this very short-term focused, you know, how do I jack up the stock price so I can cash in on my bonus kind of dynamic that we're seeing right now.
0: So opponents argue that the tax would drive businesses away from San Francisco. This is a pretty common argument about business taxes in general. From your research and analysis on this, which is extensive, has that generally proved true?
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I do think that ideally, this would be nationwide. Second best would be statewide. And third best is citywide. But <laughs> Leave them are, nowhere
0: to go. <laughs>
1: yeah, there are obviously um, so many benefits for these businesses to be in San Francisco, a, a thriving city. There are going to be many factors that they're going to consider for where they're going to locate their operations. Taxes tend to be just a very small part of that decision. If they're making money in San Francisco, they are not going to want to leave that that jurisdiction. We have to start turning around this dangerous trend of extreme inequality somewhere. And I think um, San Francisco is a place that's always been on the cutting edge of a lot of policy changes. And it it would send a really important important message if they took this step. Portland was out there first, but San Francisco is a much larger economy. You're looking at raising a lot more revenue on it in a way that would reduce any, you know, encourage companies to reduce inequality. And I think that that is what should be foremost on people's minds instead of the threats that you might hear from some companies about how they'll pull out. Often that doesn't prove to be true. And we, we hear it every time a community is considering passing a living wage increase you know, anything else that, that might you know, cut into the short-term profits of a company. This is a, a tax that actually encourages businesses to have a you know a high road pro approach that a lot of business research shows it's not good to have these extreme gaps from a business perspective. It, it harms employee morale, uh, which can harm productivity. So this is just one w- more way that we can use public policy to encourage businesses to do the right thing.
0: I'm glad you brought up revenue because the Oregonian reported in February about Portland's uh, equivalent tax, and it can expect to see about $3.5 million in revenue, which doesn't strike me as monumental. As the paper points out, that's equivalent to the salaries, but not the benefits or overhead of about 31 police officers, or it's roughly what city bureaus spend on vehicle fuel each year. Mm -hmm. And the the former city council member who pushed Portland's tax said it's nice to have the money, but it was never meant to bring in a huge amount of money. And the analysis from San Francisco's controller says this would be a highly volatile source of revenue for the city and estimates it could see revenue between 60 and 140 million dollars. I'd like to get your reflection on all of those things. Well,
1: you're trying here to do two things. You're trying to both raise revenue, but also affect corporate behavior. Mm -hmm. If all these companies responded to this tax by narrowing their pay gaps to be less than 100 to 1. I would consider that a huge victory, but it would mean that you don't get the hundred and forty million that way, so yeah. you don't know exactly how companies are going to react. Um, I think it's similar to the kinds of uh, taxes that we have put on cigarettes, for example. They're they're both an important source of revenue for some communities, but they're also a way to try to influence behavior. I think the the level of inequality we have in the country is as dangerous, or you know, could be compared to the dangers uh, on society of uh, tobacco use. I think it's important that um, we not pitch this tax as oh this is the only tax that San Francisco would need to raise the revenue that it, that it needs for all the important things that the, the city has to do I think it should be part of a basket of taxes um, and I, I it, that that have different purposes and this one yes it could be a, a little bit harder to predict how companies are are going to react but um, I I think that you know the the figures they're they're mentioning are are quite uh, considerable and it's absolutely you know not something that should discourage people from supporting it
0: can you talk a little bit about this concept of volatility? I think we also have a measure on the ballot this year that is a transfer tax, which is also described by the controller as a volatile kind of tax. What's a volatile versus a more stable kind of tax?
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's when it's it's a little bit harder to predict, um, you know, how how people might react um, with the. You know the real estate t- transfer tax. Maybe that has to do with unpredictabilities in the, the real estate sector. And you know we're we're in a recession now. How how is that going to play out? So um, I, that's as opposed to things like uh, just standard corporate tax corporate profits taxes or, uh, personal income taxes, uh, things like this that are a little bit more innovative, uh, can be harder to predict, but you know, you, you, um, you, you find out when, when you get into it with Portland, yeah, their, their revenue hasn't been that, that high. And uh, the, the guy who, um, you, you know, you quoted, I, I know him very well. He read the, the Thomas Piketty book about how terrible inequality was in the United States and was like, I'm going to do something about that. Um, it, from my perch on the Portland city council. Uh, But his goal was to uh, send a message and to encourage other jurisdictions to follow suit. Um, They never thought that they were going to fix all the problems with CEO pay from Portland. And, and that's why they um, introduced it at a pretty low rate. And, you know, as far as I know, it's, it's worked very well. They had a a homeless uh, prevention program that they, they wanted to pay for, and I think it's generated as much revenue as they expected. So you know hopefully the san francisco tax would um would generate you know the, the the revenue that they're estimating and and you know every little bit counts right uh we're in a time of terrible budget crises at especially at the state and local levels so um i think as if other cities see san francisco collecting revenue because you know the wells fargo ceo uh, you know Doesn't think he could live on less than $34 million a year. Um, And so it's a tax that, you know, isn't isn't harming uh, ordinary people. I I think you would really start something.
0: I want to bring up one more element um, that I think that this text doesn't really get into, but um, an associate professor of the economics department at the University of Louisville, Jose Fernandez, told us that a lot of the issues with CEO pay and other top executives is actually performance-based payments, and that Mm -hmm. there's a bit of a puzzle here because CEO, you know, there's little evidence that suggests CEO pay is actually linked to company performance. And performance-based payments don't get the same tax treatment as wage, uh, wages. Can you talk about you know, the, <laughs> the connection between taxation and, and performance-based payment? I mean, how much of C-suite compensation is, is uh, made up of performance-based mm-hmm. payments and, and non-wage yeah. earnings, basically?
1: Well, performance-based pay is a misnomer. It's really a sham to think that we have a pay for performance system for CEO pay. Uh, what he's referring to is uh, forms of pay that are uh, stock-based or bonuses where you have to meet certain benchmarks. They're they're pretty much rigged so that um, executives can, can cash in. And like I said before, having your um, pay uh, tied to stock prices encourages CEOs to To take actions that might bump up the stock price in the short term, but can be very damaging over the long term. So under the the design of the San Francisco tax, um, all that stock-based and so-called performance-based pay would be included in the calculation of total compensation. So companies couldn't get away not paying the tax by shifting money from one pot of compensation to another. It's, the thing about the, the tax treatment is just that I think they, they owe taxes on it when the stock is actually vested or when a, an executive actually cashes in his stock options. But the, these are you know very minor design issues. I think that the plan is really solid that we shouldn't get too bogged down in, well, are we capturing every single dime that a CEO makes or, or whatever, the the gaps are so huge, the compensation numbers are so huge that if there's a little bit of shenanigans around the the edges, uh, I just wouldn't worry about that. I think that this tax would hit nearly every large corporation operating in, in San Francisco. And that says so much about how pervasive the problem is with overpaying CEOs and underpaying workers.
0: Sarah, thanks so much for talking at such length and in such depth with me about this. Is there anything you wanted to say that I didn't give you a chance to?
1: I just hope that whichever way the vote goes, that having this on the ballot in San Francisco will draw a lot of attention to what I think is a core problem in our society. And if we want to come out of this horrible crisis as a country that's more resilient to whatever future crises we must uh, we, we might face, we need to tackle these extreme levels of inequality. We have to start somewhere. And this proposal in San Francisco would be a really important
0: That was Sarah Anderson, director of the Global Economy Project at the Institute for Policy Studies. I'm Laura Wenis, and you've been listening to Civic.
1: Civic is underwritten in part by the San Francisco Foundation, which has been acting as a catalyst for change to build strong communities, foster civic leadership, and promote philanthropy in the San Francisco Bay Area since 1948. More at sff.org.